Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. And if you're joining us over in the Beacon, thanks for coming in today. And also, if you're watching online, great to have you as well. So um, how many of you remember what our word for the year is for Lighthouse? Go. Yes. Our word for the year is go, which means to go into all the world and make disciples. It's a year about sharing our faith with people around us. So we've positioned some things around the church. We've also scheduled some things that will help us as a church to do that. And one of those, this year, we are going to do our very first vacation Bible school. Woohoo! Yeah, that's a lot of work. Just so you know, that's a lot of work. But it's going to be on June 23rd, Wednesday night, June 23rd through Friday night, June 25th. And this will probably be the biggest outreach we have ever done as a church. Um, so I don't want to do it by myself. Darla, who is leading it up, doesn't want to do it by herself. And so we need between 50 and 100 volunteers for those three nights to pull it off and do it well. Um, so if you would schedule your vacations around that week, think about taking off early from work, whatever it takes, uh, but save that date, uh, June 23rd through June 25th. Uh, we'll have registrations and more information to come as well. Now, to open up today's message, just have a question. Has anyone here ever received a speeding ticket? Is that you know, just, there's like three of us. No, okay, there's a few of us who have received it. You know, it can be a pretty traumatic event, right? I mean, I remember the first speeding ticket I got. I was going 80.8 miles an hour in a 55. Um, I was 16 years old, I think, 16, 17 years old. And uh, the ticket cost me $87.50. So I remember that because it was kind of a traumatic event. But then there was this other time that I was going 38 in a 25. And uh, I got stopped, was given a ticket. And I honestly thought it was 35. You know, I was 35. And I was just doing the little three over, you know, trying to get away with it. Um, but ended up doing 13 over. So I got a ticket. And so I got this ticket and I don't remember if something came in the mail or if it was the paper that he gave me, but it said that all you have to do is just sign on the back your guilt and mail in a check and you'll be done. And so I looked at the ticket and I was reading it down what it said. And it said I was going 38 and a 25 on this street. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the street I was on. I was on this street. And the, the policeman wrote down the wrong street. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with this because I, I wasn't even on that street that day. And I'm supposed to sign and say I was speeding on that street. So, so I called up the courthouse or whatever, whatever number they gave me. And I said, um, I don't know what to do because this was the wrong street. And, I, you know, they're telling me to sign this. And they said, well, do you want to fight it? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, we'll just schedule you to come in and talk to the judge. I'm like, I don't. Okay. Okay. So they scheduled me to come in to meet with the judge. And I told some of my friends, they're like, oh, you're going to get off on this because the cops never show up and you can just go in and they'll throw it out. I'm like, all right, it sounds great. I was in school at the time, going to college and uh, decided to take off of work. I was working part-time. So I took off work in the morning so I could go in. I got in there early, sat down in the waiting room and in comes the policeman right across and sits down right across me and stares at me. <laughs> 
great. This is going to go well. I can tell already. So I went in, they called us into the judge's chambers and she goes, well, what's, what's the problem? And I explained the street thing and she goes, so are you saying that you were going 38 on this street? I said, yeah. She goes, okay, that's all we need. I'm like, what do you mean? The policeman leaves. She goes, I said, do I need to sign anything? She goes, no, you're in the courtroom. Whatever you say is, is as much as your signature. I'm like, oh, so I, I just, I'm like in dazed at this point. And she says, so you're, you're in college. I said, yeah, I'm trying to figure this out. She goes, is money pretty tight right now? Yeah. It's, I mean, no, we're, we're doing all right. I'm fine. And, and she's like, well, I'm going to reduce your fine anyway, you know, and she reduces my fine and, and sends me on my way. I didn't even know that what she was trying to do was to help me out just a little bit. So I ended up getting a lower fine and was able to leave. But she was trying to extend mercy to me. Okay, that's the word we're going to be talking about today. Has anyone ever extended mercy to you? Maybe it was a teacher who passed you or gave you a passing grade when, they, when you probably didn't earn it. Maybe you didn't earn it. Maybe it was an employer giving you a second chance when you probably should have lost your job. Or maybe it was your bank waiving that overdraft fee for the third or fourth time when they really said, we only do this just one time. So the Bible talks a lot about mercy, but it also talks a lot about grace. And those two can kind of be confusing. So for today, we're going to use these definitions for those two words. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Receiving something you don't deserve. An example that I had in my life, I was just praying about it this week. I'm like, okay, what's an example of grace? Obviously, receiving heaven is an example. We don't deserve to get to heaven. So that's one of those. But something that I feel like is God's extension of grace to me um, is being able to be in full-time ministry, having a position of being your pastor. I mean, I see that as something that I, I just don't deserve. It's a gift to me that I don't deserve. And if you knew every sinful thing that I've ever done, you would say the same thing. I'm sure you go, ah, you know, he doesn't deserve to be up on that stage. And here's the thing. God knows every sinful thing I've ever done. And he still is giving me this opportunity to be your pastor today. And uh, that's an example of grace in my life. And then if we talk about mercy, the definition of mercy is not receiving something you do deserve. So grace is receiving something you don't deserve and mercy is not receiving something you do deserve. Like I deserved to have that full fine and the judge pulled back on that. Um, if you've ever received a warning from speeding, you know, I've gotten a few of those. My wife is the queen of just getting a warning. I don't know how she pulls it off, but uh, she always gets a warning. But that's an example too. We deserve the ticket. We were speeding or we blew that stop sign and we're just getting a warning. See, that's mercy. Grace and mercy are two very different terms, but we're going to focus today on mercy, on an example where Jesus extends mercy to an individual. Because I believe that we all need a little more mercy in our lives, right? Um, we certainly need a little more mercy 
in our world. So today we are continuing our message series called The Good Stuff, Studying the Words of Jesus. And in this series, again, this is the the center of an Oreo cookie. It's the best stuff. Uh, I think even throughout all of scripture is the words of Jesus. So during this series, we're focusing just on his words. And last week, Matt LaFree taught a message called Wisdom, Knowing Where to Build Your House. And uh, he kind of talked through, he talked through the parable of the house built on the rock or the sand. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and um, watch that. And by the way, if if you consider Lighthouse your church home, I know we're, we're kind of getting into some of that warm weather and vacations and things like that. I would just encourage you, if you miss a weekend, go back and watch it um, later on. We actually were able to, we were down in Florida, we were able to watch Matt's message. And I just want you all to be informed. I want you all to be part of where we're going as a church. So I'd encourage you, if you miss a week, go back and watch it. Uh, today, we're going to be reading a story where Jesus extends mercy. We'll be in John chapter 8. So you can turn your Bibles there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fourth gospel. And um, in this section of scripture, Jesus is facing an incredibly challenging situation. A woman is caught in the very act of adultery and is brought to him to make a judgment on her, to pronounce it a judgment. So we're going to read this and see how he responds. Chapter 8, starting with verse 2. At dawn, he appeared, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So today's message is titled, Merciful Response, Doing What Jesus Did. And I'm hopeful that we can learn a little bit from this story and learn how to apply it to our own lives. But first, let me pray, then I'll give you some points that you can fill in. So, Father, we come to you and thank you for your word that is true. We thank you that it teaches us and applies to every situation in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be here as I speak, that you would give us ears to hear from you and give me your words to speak, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here you can fill these in on your handout if you would like. When someone brings accusations to us, 
Number one, we should take a time out. So when someone comes to us with accusations against another person, the first thing we should do is take a time out. So again, let's, let's, let's look at what Jesus does. So at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were questioning this. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, if you can picture this with me for a moment, Jesus is in church. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the pastor. He's up front. He's got, he's got the Bible out. He's, he's preaching. It's a holy moment. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't there, apparently. They're, they're not in church. They're out accusing this woman. They're catching her in the act of adultery, which implies, I think, that they're actually pulling her out of bed. She may not even be fully clothed, and they're dragging her, creating a whole ruckus. Can you imagine that? Dragging her down the aisle, in a sense, and throwing her on the ground and saying, hey, Jesus, do something about this. Now, it was a trap. It was a trap because they knew that if Jesus condemns her to die, he's going to look pretty unmerciful. By the way, they brought in only the female, which makes it even worse. They didn't bring in both of them. They didn't bring in the guy. They just brought in the female. And also, beyond that, the Jews did not have legal authority to condemn anyone to death. Uh, under Roman rule, they couldn't do that. So if he condemns her to death, that's, that's a lose situation. And then, if he doesn't condemn her to die, he's breaking the Jewish law. The Old Testament law was pretty clear. It says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. So the law is pretty clear. So Jesus is in a lose, lose situation. So what does he do? He just bends down. Starts writing in the sand. Doesn't say anything. He just waits. He just pauses. He ignores them. Now they continue to press him until he responds. But his first response is to pause, is to ignore the situation. Here's a question for us to ask ourselves. When someone brings an accusation about someone else to me, what is my first response? I'll pull a couple of the headlines from this past week. So Governor Como is being of New York is being accused of sexual harassment. When you read that news, what was your immediate response? Or Tiger Woods, you know, gets into a, a car accident. A lot of accusations. Was he drinking? Was he on drugs? Did he fall asleep? Was he on his phone? A lot of accusations. But when you read that, what was your first 
response. Or maybe just think back if you're if you're working somewhere and you find out that one of your coworkers gets fired. I mean, what is your what's your first response? Do we have an immediate response, like an immediate, oh, he deserved that or she deserved that, or that must be true. I knew about that governor. I've always thought this is going to happen. But if we model our lives after Jesus, our first response shouldn't be to judge. It should be to pause, is to wait, to not pronounce judgment. I'm I'm not even talking about what we say out loud. I'm talking about what happens on the inside, in our hearts, in our minds, what we think. Proverbs 25, verse 7 and 8 say, What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court. There's just wisdom there. He's basically saying, hey, you might see something, but you might not know the whole story. Don't go ahead and make accusations. Just wait. Wait. Proverbs 18, 17 in the NLT says, The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. You ever experienced that? You ever been in a courtroom? And seen that happen. Uh, I haven't physically been in a courtroom, but I've watched Judge Judy. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> but have you ever watched Judge Judy? And you know, the the first person to speak, I believe, is the one making the accusation, right? The, com- the person complaining or whatever, and they're saying this person did this. They didn't pay their bills. They didn't do that. They didn't do this. And I'll tell you what. At the end of that section of the show, I'm like. Man, put that person in jail, find them $10,000, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I am, I'm all in on that. And then the defendant stands up and says, well, here's what really happened. I don't know if it's what it really happened, but that's what they say. And then they say their side of the story. And then I'm like, oh, I don't know. That sounds pretty good, too. You ever been there? How your opinion can just get switched in just a moment? Even when it's necessary for us to make a judgment, which most of the time it's not, wisdom says to wait, says to pause. Don't make a judgment. We might not have all of the details quite yet. And I don't know about you, but this is a difficult thing for me. And I hear somebody tell me a story. Oh, Joe did this or Susie did that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, that person. I can't believe they did that. I mean, I'm, I'm quick to judge. But as I'm getting older, I'm learning to go, oh, there might be another side to that story. There, there just might be. Maybe that's not the whole picture. So maybe I need to wait a little bit. It's hard to do that, but when I do, it's helpful. But I will tell you this, as a church, I want to be part of a church that's not quick to judge. Now, when we hear something, when we think we see something, to not just jump right away into, oh, that's what happened, even in our hearts and minds, but just just to pause and go, Okay, that was interesting. Let's just kind of wait and see how this plays out because time does seem to clarify things, doesn't it? Things seem to become more clear if we just take the time to pause. So that's the first thing. When someone makes an accusation, I think it's really important 
that we take a time out. The second thing, when someone brings accusations to us, we should try to extend mercy. We should try to extend mercy. Verse 7 says, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, wrote on the ground, and at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared. And we'd already stated that the punishment for adultery is death, um, death by stoning. And stoning is where they, in, in, we don't have this around here, but in Israel, in Jerusalem, they have these big jagged rocks just all over the place. And so they would pick up these rocks and they would throw these stones at the person until they died. Now, it only took two or three witnesses to condemn someone to death. Just think about that. There wasn't no, there wasn't, didn't need to be a full judge and jury and all. It just took a couple of witnesses um, to agree and say that this person did this, condemn them to condemn them worthy of death. And, um, but what they did have in place was those two witnesses had to throw the first stone. Because it's one thing to lie about somebody, but it's another thing to pick up a stone and actually kill someone with your own hands. And so that's what they were hoping is people will more or less tell the truth because of that. So now by this time in Jesus's ministry, he has already preached the Sermon on the Mount. And many of those people had heard that message. And in that message in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus knew the hearts of every single person there. So those men who had drug her out of bed and pulled her maybe scantily clothed into the church there, He's speaking to them and saying, hey, if you've, if you've even looked at her lustfully or anyone else, your sin is no different than her. Because Jesus knows our hearts. So he says, if you're without sin, go ahead. Go ahead and cast that first stone. And no one did. Now, by the way, I always point out to my children that it was the older ones who left first, you know, the, the wiser ones. Um, but I'm guessing it's just because they had more sins. I kind of look at my life. The older I get, the more sins I have. But Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He had full authority to condemn her and he chose not to. Jesus extended mercy to this woman. Now, we got to remember this. Jesus doesn't ignore the sin. He just doesn't condemn the woman. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't ignore the sin or even the consequences of the sin. He just doesn't condemn the woman. He extended mercy. Now, wouldn't our world be a much better place 
if we extended mercy more often. Now, we live in a culture right now called the cancel culture, right? I mean, someone can be a hero one day, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, post the wrong thing, and they're a villain the next. I mean, just like that. Just like that. Now, here's what Scripture says. Scripture says, Proverbs chapter 19, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's pretty opposite to our culture today. To overlook an offense, not to emphasize the offense. Now, if before we start pointing too many fingers at our culture, let's just kind of remember where the cancel culture came from. Go back a few years. Remember when we as Christians boycotted everything? Oh, so-and-so is doing this with their bathrooms. Let's boycott Target. Let's boycott this. Let's boycott that. Remember that? That really was the beginning of cancel culture. We started it. Whereas scripture would say, hey, it's to your glory to overlook an offense. Now, one thing to keep in mind also is that Jesus makes it clear too, we will be judged at the same level we judge others. Matthew 7, 1 says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a heck of a lot of mercy in my life. And so I'm hopeful that one day, you know, at the end of the at the end of my life, I'm going to be judged by God in a merciful way. But that's a little bit dependent on how I treat other people today. Right? Because if I don't extend mercy, God's making it clear. He's going to have a hard time extending mercy back to me. So here's your other feeling. We can cancel the cancel culture by showing mercy. That's how we do it. And I really think that since we as the church started it, you can argue with me on that, but I think that we might have started it. Maybe we can start another trend by extending mercy to people around us. When someone brings accusations to us, we should try to extend mercy. And then last point, when someone brings accusations to us, it is expected to expect repentance. It is expected to expect repentance. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus ends up not condemning the woman in verses 10 and 11, but he does declare, go now and leave your life of sin. See, there was an expectation that, hey, I'm going to extend mercy to you. I'm, you're not going to die today. But the expectation is repentance. Repentance. Now, what does it mean to repent? Repent means to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. That's different than being sorry. Okay, we need to, we need to understand the two. I'm pretty sure that this woman was sorry, man, because she was about to die. I'm sure she felt pretty bad about the choices she'd made. She was sorry for them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she's repentant. My hope, and we didn't actually hear the rest of the story of her life, but my hope is that she was repentant, which means 
And that was the expectation that Jesus had for her is that she was going to change her life. She was going to do things different. She was going to leave her life of sin. That's the expectation for mercy. When God extends mercy to us, it's not to enable us to continue to sin. His reasoning for extending mercy is to give us a second chance. The goal for mercy is repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's why God shows mercy to us, is so that we can repent. So repentance asks the question, what am I going to do to ensure that this won't happen again? What am I going to do differently to not be continually doing this, this simple activity? That's what repentance means. You guys have heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results, right? We've probably heard that one before. So if we are sinning, continually sinning, and receiving God's grace and mercy in our lives and forgiveness, and yet we don't change anything, I would say that's being sorry. Maybe we're being sorry for what we did, but I, that's not repentance. Repentance requires change. I do something. Got to do something different. John the Baptist said it this way to a group of religious people in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit. So if we are repentant, then there should be fruit from that repentance. So let's just make it personal for a moment. I want you to take a moment and think about an area, a sin area in your life. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I truly repentant? Am I truly repentant? Or am I just sorry? Maybe sorry that there were consequences. Maybe sorry that I got caught. Have I changed things to keep up with repentance? Have I done things differently? By the way, one of the ways to do things differently is to confess your sin to another person. Scripture says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When, when you confess your sin to somebody else and you're taking it to a whole nother level, and I believe that that's keeping up with the fruit of repentance. It's like, okay, I'm going to tell somebody because I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep sinning against a holy God hard to do, but boy, it brings about fruit. It brings about fruit. So you can write this down, your last villain. God's wonderful mercy should compel us to take preventative action. God's wonderful mercy should compel us to take preventative action. So that's our last point. When someone brings accusations to us, it's expected to expect repentance. I'm going to turn this 
time over to Tony over in the beacon and invite Rose to come up and lead us in our closing prayer. So, um, last week I was listening to a podcast about um, living an honorable life. What does honor look like? What does honor mean? And one of the things that he talked about was repentance. And it was a pr- it was pretty powerful. <laughs> And one of the things that he said, we can confess all day long. We can say we're sorry all day long. But if repentance does not follow confession, the confession is pointless. Because confession isn't what changes us. Repentance is choosing to turn the other way. Repentance is what changes us. Repentance is what living an honorable life is. So what does that look like in your life, in my life? And I know there have been times when I've I've confessed, I'm I'm said I've said I'm sorry, I've apologized, but then the next day I turn around and do the same thing. <laughs> What's the point in re- in confessing if you're not going to change your actions, your attitude? Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is an area in your life where you need repentance? You have confessed. Where is an area that you need to repent from? Is it judging someone? Is it holding a grudge? Is it apologizing to someone, but then still having the same attitude toward that person you had before? So we're just going to ask the Lord what he wants to do with that. Why don't you stand with me? So, Holy Spirit, would you come? We know that you you see things and know things about us that no one else does. Sometimes we think that's a good thing and sometimes we don't. But, Lord, ultimately is good that you know 
every little thing about us. So Lord, would you show us areas in our lives where there needs to be repentance? Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We're just gonna take a minute and listen to the Lord. Lord, would you show us an area where repentance needs to happen? Some of you, you may want to come to the front and just as an act of surrender, like, okay, Lord, this is it. This is my turning point. You're welcome to do that. Okay, Lord, this is it. I'm actually going to repent and change this time. Thank you for your activity in our lives. I thank you for the gift of repentance. <laughs> it's a gift. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of repentance. Thank you that we get to choose to be all in for you. So Lord, I thank you for highlighting areas in our lives that you want us to change for your glory and for your honor, Lord.
So Lord, I pray that as we go about our day, that Lord, that you would continue to highlight those areas. And Lord, would you give us a supernatural ability to do a 180 and turn the other way from that sin, to turn away from judgment, to turn away from criticism, to turn away from anger, to turn away from holding a grudge. But Lord, give us the ability to show mercy, to extend mercy, to extend grace to those that we who need it. And understanding that it's not about us. It's about you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. So God, I pray that you would bless each person as they go through their week this week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.